Thank you for joining us for this webinar, which is compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. A recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. From our team, until the next time, cheerio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Biznews Finance Friday webinar. I'm Jackie Cameron from Biznews, and with us today we've got some very special guests. Uh, Skulk Malan, CEO of Brightrock. He's the chief actuary behind all the innovation at Brightrock. So thank you very much for joining us, Skulk. Thank you, uh, Jackie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And Dawn Riddler is uh, one of our regular visit uh, guests on the show, and um, Dawn is known for her no-nonsense approach to uh, financial issues. She's an independent financial advisor based in Johannesburg, uh, also very qualified with an MBA and also a science background. So welcome, Dawn. Thanks for joining us again. Nice to see you again, Jackie. And we're also hoping that Rob McDonald will join us soon. Uh, he, um, he might be with us already, but if not, uh, we'll see him shortly. So, uh, I'm here, you Jackie. Know? I don't know if you can hear me. Yes, hi Rob, we can hear you. If you could turn yeah, your I'm sorry, camera on. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out how to turn my camera on, but hopefully you'll see me soon. No problem. And of course, welcome to everybody who's joined us on the webinar today. So if you could uh, feel free to start putting your questions in the box on the right. And uh, my colleague Ariella might just check to make sure the tech is working. Ariella, do you want to see whether the tech is working for everybody and if the sound is working? Yes, hi everyone. Um, just to check, obviously get your questions in early, the earlier the better. And just to check that everyone's mics are ready and working, if you see in the dashboard section, there is a high five. Um, please could you, if your sound and uh, everything is working, please could you click on that high five just so I can see that everyone is good to go. There we go, getting some high fives. Cool, and we are all good to go. Rob, I have sent you a webcam request. Okay, okay so great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to share it, and I'm not sure why it's not happening, but I'll, I'll see if I can resolve it. So uh, perhaps we can start, Skalk, with you. You've, you've, you've produced some very interesting results uh, which show that your company has been doing quite well in, in the COVID-19 era. Perhaps you could just sketch how this has happened and how you've managed to buck the trend and also tell us a bit about your uh, products and how they differ from the other life insurance products in South Africa. Yes, Jackie, um, let me maybe start uh, just uh, highlighting our year. Um, it's been, as we all know, it's been a, a devastating year for, for economies. It's been a devastating year for so many families out there, um, in particular in South Africa. Um, but but in that, um, Brightrock has seen you know, a, a few kernels of opportunities and nuggets of opportunities that um, that I think has has really um, led to us having us having seen remarkable um, results during this period. And and I think it really starts with, you know, um, Brightrock is a is very much a digital um, platform, digital based organisation from day one. Um, you know, our product. If I talk about how our product operates, um, and and we talk about our needs matched insurance offering. It is a, is a, it's a product that can be delivered um, virtually. Um, it, can, it, it is a discussion. It's a discussion between an advisor and the client um, to co-create that solution for the client. It's not that hard, often referred to as um, uh, life insurance having to be sold um, rather than bought. And, um, you know, we, we've seen reacting very quickly when, when COVID struck, you know, the hard lockdown around end of March. Um, you know, we very quickly got all our people back home, um, working virtually, um, but we also very quickly brought out solutions for our advisors to be able to still operate, you know, the traditional challenge of life insurance, having to draw bloods, um, you know, that we've made available to advisors to, to and clients not to need, not needing that. Um, and, and also keeping in mind a lot of our systems and process was already operating on that basis. So it kind of was an easy transition in a way. And I do think that was a was a big catalyst for, for our experience, um, positive experience. Um, and then I think, you know, the product, as I explained earlier, operating in that virtual space, um, uh, making it making it easier for an advisor to sell via 
let's say Zoom um, was a big driver. And you know, as you refer to the results, has been remarkable. I mean, in in just to quote one stat for you, um, if you look at the NMG survey um, that's been done quarterly, independent survey um, in life insurance sales, um, Brightrock performed um, the second best in the advisor market, um, the independent advisor market in South Africa. You know, and we saw positive growth of more than 4% year on year, um, where the rest of the industry was sitting down 38%. Um, so, so that's testament, I think, of a, of a as you say, a great performance. Um, but it, it was challenging. You know, it required a lot of hours from the team, um, a lot of hard work, um, and being out there as well. I think that's uh, another element we kept on engaging with our clients, with our advisors um, during this time. And, and, and that's really... What, what was important to us, you know, to keep on that service, um, not just in terms of a claim support, but also new business um, for our advisors. And um, yeah, I think the, the BrightRock product, um, you know, we often talk about condensing um, time. Um, I think, you know, if you talk about um, being able to, to sit with a client and, and, and discuss his needs in detail, and the product matches those needs exactly, um, you know, I, I think in a way being able to sell, um, you know, virtually um, and being forced to sell virtually um, opened that, that door for us and, and created, uh, you know, a, a focus on, on our product and what needs match insurance is all about. To some extent, uh, life insurance is a bit of a grudge purchase, isn't it? Because we don't get to enjoy it ourselves. So, um, and we also hear about people never paying out. And I see from your statistics that you do actually pay out quite a lot. And that's something that you're proud of. Yeah, so if, if you look live to date, um, Brightrock has paid in excess of 500 million rands in claims. Um, and, and, but, but what's even more important than that statistic and, um, is you know, paying on certain events that, that, uh, that um, our product supports that's been designed inside our product that we felt um, no other provider offers that level of cover. Um, that level of um, certainty for our clients, and, um, and and that's something we're very proud of. You know, if I can give you a couple of examples, um, you know, where we've done away completely with things like general survival periods, where people have to wait a couple of days, um, even in some cases a few months on your disability side, um, to get that claim. Um, whereas in our case, you know, on on, on critical illness events. Um, there's no, no such thing as a general survival period, and, and if people meet the criteria, they get paid. Um, another quick example is, you know, many years back we saw a gap or, or a shortfall um, in, in, in firstly our product, but also in the market's product when it comes to trauma-related events. Um, and and when when you've got that falling off uh, of your bike or or uh, and breaking your shoulder all the way to, you know, we had the strangest events where kids were swallowing magnets at, at, a, at, at a party. Um, and all those create significant trauma for the family, but insurance is not designed to protect that. And we brought about what we call our trauma IQ benefit, part and parcel of our, of our additional expense benefit. Um, and it's, uh, that has really been um, a, a step change for us in terms of providing that additional certainty for our clients. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really, um, come to the fore. You know, if I look at COVID during this period, you know, especially in the underwritten space, um, I think, uh, um, in, and that's consistent across the industry, there hasn't been a significant spike on the underwritten, and I'm talking about your, your, um, you know, your largest sum assured tops of business. Um, in our funeral assistance business, there's been a significant increase in, in claims, you know, that, that we've seen. Um, especially months, you know, just shortly after winter, your um, August, even into September, um, and 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 we were proud to be able to stand by those families as well and support them in, in their time of need. Um, you know, and I've personally been out to to a number of funeral parlors in this time, and you know, it's really um, it's exceptional the work that they've done during this time. You know, and they're the real um, heroes in during this period that uh, that they've supported those families in the midst of immense pressure. Um, on those institutions. So so we played our small part in that and, and and I think that's where life insurance is supposed to stand up. You know, um, you get trained around the handling and many and, and thinking theoretically about a pandemic. Um, but I think we as an industry can be proud to say we, we've been through that. Um, you know, and uh, 
And I think especially the South African life insurance industry um, has come through it very, um, very well. Um, you know, relatively speaking, um, I think also, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it speaks to the capital robustness of our, of our sector. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, there's been a good outcome for in, in that regard from being able to support clients in this time. And then, you know, maybe the last point, Jackie, as well, is there's an increased focus from clients on um, life insurance. You know, there's there's many stats and studies that indicate that, you know, especially younger people looking looking to the importance of life insurance because people understand their mortality, morbidity much better now. And, and we've all seen families, loved ones, people we know that's been through trauma in their families. Um, and, and that for us is, is also seen as being able to step into that, you know, partnering with advisors like Dawn, um, being able to deliver solutions that client can, clients can understand. And I think, you know, the, the world is going to change forever. You know, we are going to see the way advice is being delivered, products being delivered in life insurance will, will never be the same exactly. I do think the value of, of that, um, sometimes that face-to-face is important. Um, but I also think there's, um, and, and the, and the um, importance of advice has never been more important than, than ever before. It's the way that we deliver. And I think technology will play a big role in the future to, to support advisors and companies to really make it even more efficient and, and seamless for clients. That's very interesting that you've actually gone to the funeral parlors. I've never heard of the CEO of a company like yours spending time at grassroots levels level before. That's really impressive. Do you do a lot of that kind of work uh, in your in your other areas? Um, yeah, Jackie. I, I think you know, especially being a product developer at heart, um, and and one I get those opportunities as much as as maybe at the start of Brightcroft's journey. You know, and it's uh, but. But I, I think there's a, a, a tremendous level of value to be able to engage directly with advisors, with clients. Um, and, and when that opportunity presents itself, I, I embrace it because, you know, BrightRock was founded on principles of, of, of a group of people that um, believed we can change the industry. And I think we have. I mean, we've made significant impact in, in the industry from a product point of view. It was also a group of people that were feeling that, you know, um, being, being um being curious, you know, and sometimes curious about listening, you learn a lot more, you know, and a little bit of that humbleness of of being able to understand people's problems and coming up with solutions to that. And and that was one of the bases that we founded the business. Um, and and I see great value in getting that, you know, and and you know, I mentioned earlier that example of the trauma IQ benefit, and that was as a result of of seeing one of our clients um, being in a space where where we, um, a product at that point in time wasn't working for them and we could improve on that. Um, so yes, I, I think it's critical for any leadership of a business to to be at the goal face, as you say, grassroots level, um, learn and, and get better um, and bring that experience back to the business. Thank you. Let's turn to Dawn now. Dawn um, has mentioned a few times in our webinars that the, the COVID situation might change how we get insurance make, will make it more difficult for some people. Dawn, would you like to pick up on that? Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, I think BrightRock is is a brilliant uh, product, but like all life insurers, they've uh, they put out now what's a COVID questionnaire uh, that everybody has to to fill out, and you know that's understandable. They 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 have to to get a grip on on that risk. I mean. None of the clients that, you know, have gone through the process with me have, you know, um, had a, a positive COVID test. So I don't know what the sort of underwriting outcome would be. Um, but, you know, when it when it comes down to the financial planning and, you know, particularly if you're holistic like I am, and although I focus more on investment because, I mean, that's where everybody else is. You don't want to, I don't want to spend my whole life focusing on, on grudge purchases, but, um, when when you life life insurance and particularly when it comes to disability and rare disease plays a very important role, especially with younger clients who've got liabilities, who've got young children, and and this kind of thing. And you know they they just quite frankly um, just haven't built up enough of investments because they're just too too young. They just haven't had enough time to build up those investments so that um, if anything happens to them. Um, they're not out of pocket in in terms of it, you know it was a disability or that their family is is left financially destitute. But um, having a a product 
that is so flexible that you can, you know, life insurance doesn't have to be for life. You can make it termed insurance. And this is one of the cornerstones of what Brightrock does is, is that it, it focuses on, on the fact that life insurance doesn't have to be for life. It can be um, for, for a term period. And then you can take that that premium um, and use it elsewhere after you don't need life insurance anymore because your children are grown up, you've paid off all your bonds, you you know, that these kind of things. Um, you know, there's, you know, it, it it's that sort of infinite almost flexibility that makes it so easy for a financial advisor like myself to incorporate it in, into the a holistic financial plan for a client. Skulk, do you have anything to add to that? I see you've got some sort of new uh, approach to stopping and starting the insurance premiums. Yeah, Jackie. So, so firstly, I think what, what just to echo what Dawn is saying in our product, and and you know our, our product was designed with that flexibility in mind. It's actually you know we talk about our three pillars of our product, and you know it's traditional products as we like to refer to them are pretty much the advisor's got to fit his advice into meeting the product, um, and and that's bizarre if you think about it, because if if an advisor sits down with a client, understands their needs. Um, and some of them, as Dawn refers to, are short-term needs. Others are could be all-of-life needs. Others expire at retirement age, um, and they morph over time as well. Potentially, you know, they they ebb and flow. Um, you know, and 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 that's the advice. Now, for an advisor then to squash all of them into one block of cover, um, and quite often priced for the maximum term, um, and and obviously the price goes with that. Um, just didn't make sense to us, you know. So for us to be able to offer a product that matches the advice, you know, it's a bit of that square, square peg and round hole problem, um, and and matches the advice all the way, not just on day one to the end. Um, I think it's been a big driver of of our recent um, you know success in COVID because I think in times like this, it is illuminated more than ever the value proposition, but also people want to understand what 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 is my life insurance buying, what is it covering. Um, so, so that I, I think is critical to to keep in mind on our product offering, and I think it's a massive differentiator. In terms of new product announcements, um, you know, Jackie, during during COVID, I mean, we, we've obviously had um, you know premium relief options, um, but but I mean, recently we've launched our our um, in, during our October launch, had really a very exciting product product launch. We first and foremost we enhanced are what we call about premium guarantees um, and it's quite bizarre you know, people that that buy life insurance today um, seldom have the certainty that they know exactly what their premium will be next month oh sorry next year um, once they go through an anniversary um, and, and and that's just something that's been part of life insurance for, since you know since forever um, and and we've always held the view that a client must understand exactly what is this increase going to be if he chose that increase what will that increase be next year? Um, and in fact, we've we've now also looked to enhance that even further by um, introducing on our death cover um, benefits um, that 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 premium is then guaranteed for for the full duration. So in other words, if you've chosen whole of life, if you've chosen ten years or twenty years, as as, as Dawn um, spoke about, where um, where the rest of the industry is still and and prior to this change, we were also um, in that space where you've got a ten year um, guaranteed terms. So, so all of these are driven, and it's quite technical, but it's all driven to provide increased certainty for for clients, um, and and obviously the advisor that that supports that client. Um, and and yeah, I mean we can maybe chat um, about other enhancements, but you know Brightlock's constantly look looking for um, how do we how do we get feedback from the market, how do we improve our product, and and improve the experience for both the advisor and the client. Thank you. Before we move on to the questions, Rob, are you still with us? Uh, yes, Jackie, I am. I'm sorry. I, I, for some reason, I'm unable to share my camera. Uh, there's something no that's problem. Me. I'm sorry about that. Don't worry. Maybe I what am, I can yeah. do is uh, you, you sent us some slides. Maybe I can put those up while you just talk us briefly through your area and um, what you've noticed uh, in, in this new era of COVID-19. Um, so yeah. I'm sorry we can't see you, but hopefully we can see mm -hmm. your uh, your, your slides here. So Rob specializes in investment behavior. Um, so Rob, I don't know if you want to just briefly explain what that entails when you're looking at life insurance. 
Why is, why is investor behaviour important? Well, I mean, um, Jackie, I mean, I think what's interesting about the conversation so far, and, and particularly given we've been talking about the pandemic, uh, is, is that, um, you know, as you're probably aware, life insurance really got its um, uh, boost as, a, as a, an industry from the previous pandemic um, in, in 1918, you know, the Spanish flu, uh, where in that pandemic, you know, households, um, we're, we're hit not in the same way that COVID is hitting us, where sort of generally you're finding older people more prone to, to dying. Um, in that Spanish flu, it was the sort of 18 to 35 year olds who were the most um, vulnerable. And as a result of that, um, you know, you had households that were basically uh, decimated in the sense that often one or both parents died. And suddenly the realization that life insurance is very important so I think that what's interesting is that that pandemic, in, in a way, and I mean, I'm sure Skulk and Dawn might want to add to this, but in a way, it really boosted the life insurance industry and the realization that life insurance is so important. I think that this pandemic has um, has given a, a different sort of uh, realization to people. And, and, and I think it's through the, the lockdowns that we've experienced um, and through the uncertainty that um, people have now um, become almost uh, emotionally uh, aware of the implications of their financial positions. And so what we've seen a lot um, uh, is the need for financial advisors to be showing empathy to their clients because they've been sitting on the other side of a Zoom call, talking to clients, trying to you know, support clients through incredibly difficult times of losing jobs, losing incomes, or reduced income. So, so we've seen the, the need for the financial advisor's role to shift. And so in a way, in the same way that the Spanish flu, um, you know, gave a real boost to the importance of life insurance, I think that the COVID-19 is giving a real boost to the relational aspects of the role of the financial advisor. And so in that, with that in mind, um, you know, I, I was going to talk briefly to, to the importance of understanding behavior and, and in a sense, managing behavior, because I think that the, what you see um, today, and there you can see it on that, on, on that graph which you're showing, Jackie, is, is that, you know, this cycle of, of investment emotion um, that happens um, all the time, it happens perennially, it's quite strange that in, in, when it comes to money, um, when things are expensive, people want to, to buy, and when things are cheap, people want to sell. You know, normally if you go to the shops and you go to Woolworths and you want to you know, buy some clothing, you know, if there's a sale on the sign, you, you'll probably buy two pieces of clothing rather than one. And if it says for expensive, you'll walk away. But for, for some reason, when it comes to investment markets, at the point of maximum you know, financial risk, people want to put money in. And at the point of maximum financial opportunity, they want to take money out. And so we see this played out all the time. And what, and what if you show the next slide is, you know, what you can see from this, this roller coaster uh, is that the investment outcomes for clients are consistently not great as a result of their behavior. So what you're seeing there, this is a graph showing performance of investors versus the the S&P 500 over multiple time periods. And uh, I think the most important point to note there is the red bar below the line, the performance lag. Often people talk about a, a behavioral tax or a performance tax, uh, a behavioral penalty. And essentially what that's telling us is that over all those different time periods, investors underperform the investments that they're invested in by margins as high as 7% per annum, as low as 3% per annum. And there is, as a result of this experience of underperforming their investments, uh, the, the, obviously the outcomes are, are poor for, for clients very often because they're moving at the wrong time um, uh, and, and motivated by this, you know, chasing performance. You know, that we see this happening consistently that investors chase investment performance. So as a result of, of, of that, and, and yes, if you move on to the next graph, we can just show a real-life study of South Africa where um, what you can see there in this graph is a, 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 an actual multi-asset low equity unit trust fund. It's, it's probably the largest fund in, the, in this sector. Um, and this is a fund that's targeting inflation, uh, sorry, cash plus 2%. So it's not a very aggressive portfolio. But what you can see on the blue lines there is the blue line is showing you the return over the previous year of the portfolio. 
Um, and then the other uh, the graphic to look at is those gray blocks. And those gray blocks are showing you the flow of money in and out of this fund. And so you can see initially where the graph starts to go down from that 5%, the blue line, the money flows out. Then it goes back up, the money flows back in, and you can see the cycle of money flowing in and out following performance onto the extreme right of the graph where you can see in, in July 2020 this year, uh, a huge amount of money flowed out of this portfolio. Now, why this is relevant is for two reasons. One is that this is a portfolio that is only targeting cash plus 2%. So it's not a very aggressive portfolio, and yet investors are incredibly jittery about it, even though you know your range of returns is, is not dramatically high. Um, but the second point, and, and obviously an important point to note here, and this is why I'm so passionate about the work I do, is that many of the people invested in that portfolio are under advice. In fact, the bulk of those flows are, are advice flows. And so I do a lot of work with financial advisors, helping them around how they can manage the behavior of their clients and their emotions of their clients. And I think that that's been a real challenge, uh, particularly in the last six months, because emotions have been so high. So, so I think maybe Jackie just, I mean, the first point is that investor behavior can undermine client outcomes. And, and the reason that is, is the next picture that I, that I show you there is a picture of a brain. And it, it's really just saying the reason that this happens is because of why we're wired, how we're wired as humans. And we are wired in a couple of ways. One is that our brains, um, um, because we are dealing with such complexity in the world, our brains are lazy and try to shortcut things. So we have what are called cognitive biases. And so our biases influence our decisions. Uh, and our biases often uh, come from our, our limbic system or our automatic sort of brain, our fast operating brain, and they don't engage our prefrontal cortex, which is our slow operating brain. And so as a result of that, what you find is decisions that are being made in the short term. And if you just go to the next slide, just to emphasize this, our brains are continually looking for threats. And as a result of the shortcuts we take, they want to press the magic certainty button as soon as possible. And that magic certainty button, in the case of that uh, graph of, of uh, I showed you earlier with the flows of the funds, that graph there, you can see essentially that investors are looking for certainty as soon as the graph goes down. And the only certainty they can get is to take their money out and as a result of that, what I like to say is their money goes to money heaven rather than it doesn't serve their longer term you know, investment outcomes. So, so I think the point to make really is that managing behavior is a key part of the financial planning process. There's a quote there from a leading behavioral finance expert, Mayor Statman, who talks about the fact that you know, the, the financial planning process is you know, 93% of it is the behavioral management clients. And I'd be interested to hear if Dawn agrees with that comment or not. But essentially, that managing behavior of clients is at the core of what financials are required, financial advisors are required to do. And the challenge that, that we face is obviously that we are wired as human beings to, you know, to seek certainty, to respond to, to danger, uh, and, and often allow our emotions to override our cognitive uh, faculties. So, I mean, that's just a comment around the importance of behavioral management, um, you know, and as a result of that, you know, the, 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 that quote there that you see from Mike, from um, uh, Nick Murray there, on the, sorry, uh, the, the, the following slide. I mean, I think the point being is that that slide about financial planners value add is that financial planners, you know, can add a huge amount of value to clients by helping them manage their behavior. And this is, uh, this is taken from a guy named Nick Murray, who's a, a financial advisor in the US and a financial planning coach. And he talks about the fact that that the, as his role as a financial planner is to is to quantify the goals, craft the long-term plan for a client and fund it for the for the client with a long-term portfolio. And he earns about 20% of his fee from doing that. And then 80% of his fee he earns from coaching clients through working the plan and through all the cycles of the economy and all the fads and fears of the market. And essentially what he's saying is that he, as a financial advisor, that's his key role uh, and that he doesn't add any value by trying to time the market or analyze the economy or identify top performing investments. And this is quite contrary to what clients are expecting from financial advisors because clients go to financial advisors to get the right products, you know, to get the right insurance product, to get the right investment fund, et cetera. But in reality, our financial outcomes are hugely influenced by our behavior. And so that's why this, the role of the advisor, and I think that this has come out dramatically in the COVID-19 pandemic, is the, the realization 
that the, the, the extent to which an advisor can help a client with their own emotional well-being and also with their behavior is, is a huge value add to them. And I think is, the, is how the financial planning role is going to evolve given the influence of technology. And the next slide just re-emphasizes this from a quote from Michael Kitsis, who's a commentator in the US, who talks about the fact that the future of financial planning is not about dispensing expert financial advice, but about helping clients engage in financial behavior. So I think we're in for a, we're in a in a big transition in the industry. I think COVID-19 has has sort of accelerated that transition and magnified it. But the next slide will show you that it the clients don't necessarily agree with this. And clients, when they come and see you, and this is taken from a study by Morningstar, clients come to financial advisors saying that they want them to help them reach their financial goals. They want them to have all the right skills and knowledge. And importantly, you can see that they want them to help them maximize their returns. And only do you see low down on that list of attributes that they looked at 15 attributes of what clients value about a financial advisor service. And you can see that acting as a coach and a mentor and helping the client stay in control of their emotions is right at the bottom of what clients value. And so we have this conundrum where clients are not clear on what is the value of advice that they, they well, they know what they want to get, but ultimately, as, as I showed earlier, actually staying in control of your emotions and actually staying on, on, on plan and sticking to your plan rather than jumping around is actually the way to achieve your goals. So we have an interesting tension um, in the industry about you know, what are expectations of clients and what value can advisors really add. So, Thank you, Rob. Before, yeah. Yes, maybe we can pick up on some more of your slides in, in, in a bit. We've got some questions yeah, sure. coming through here. And uh, the first one is for Dawn. And uh, this probably goes against your concept of um, being, you know, stealing your emotions and thinking carefully about your behavior. But uh, mm -hmm. Sue would like to know, Dawn, I want to move all my investments offshore. Can my living annuity be moved in its entirety and relocated in funds or a fund offshore? Um, the short answer is that it can't physically move offshore, but it can be put into a RAND denominated pure offshore fund. So it contains all the offshore funds that you might, you know, can contain the Amazons and Microsofts and everything else, but it will be located here. But it can be completely exposed to offshore when it is an annuity, uh, but you can't physically take it, take it offshore. That's okay. the, the, the short answer. Whether you should or not is, is a much longer um, uh, discussion between the financial advisor and, and, and a client. I mean, I had a client today who's got some money offshore that as much as it breaks my heart, I'm telling you, you have to bring that back. You need that for your retirement. You can't let it um, sit over there because, you know, by having it sitting over there doing almost nothing in terms of a yield point of view, um, you're going to run into a problem and run into a problem soon. So, um, you know, it is, you know, as, as much as I can, I like my clients to have offshore exposure where they can physically take it offshore, but you can't do it within a, a retirement, within a, an annuity, which is after retirement annuity. Thank you. Here's a question for Skulk uh, from Frida. How do I get life insurance? I've got an autoimmune disease. Yeah, so, so Frida, it, uh, it depends obviously on, on um, the severity of the disease and, uh, and, and the duration of, of the disease. I mean, the best uh, that I would recommend is um, obviously speak to, to an advisor to, to, uh, to explore the various options. Um, you know, I would like to think that BrightRock can, can provide that support from, a, from an underwriting and understand that um, and let them explore the solutions to you. Um, and and yeah, if you if you also I'm not sure of, of, of selecting an advisor, you can contact BrightRock as well directly, and and we will definitely be able to point you in the right direction. Thank you, Dawn. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think this is part of managing the expectations of of clients, especially you know, coming into to life insurance and getting them to understand that a life insurance is not a medical aid. Medical aids have to accept you and they've got some, you know, some short term penalties and, you know, you can't claim for a year. Um, but in the end, they have to accept you. Life insurance is not like that. Um, life, insur life insurers will assess the risk and um, they will then act accordingly. So what they can do is either decline completely 
to to cover you or they could load premium um so instead of paying you know you could be loaded by 400% or 100% or 25% or something like that. Or they could do um, exclusions for a specific illness or a specific condition or something along those lines. But, um, the, you know, they have to weigh up the risk. And the, the biggest problem that I've found over the years with autoimmune type diseases is that they often um, attack more than one body system. Um, and it can be quite difficult to get traditional life insurance at a reasonable price. But having said that, even with, um, for example, HIV, which obviously is an autoimmune disease, um, and I've got a couple of clients on Brightrock that have HIV, and um, yes, there are loadings, and there are sort of prerequisites in terms of, but, you know, there are life insurance companies like Brightrock that will um cover HIV. So it's going to be very specific, but um, I, I recommend you get an advisor who is tenacious, like I am. I don't take no for an answer. The <laughs> underwriters at Brightrock have to phone me, not the client, and I give them a hard time if they try and give me an adverse um, uh, underwriting. But, you know, it, it, it can be done depending on, on what autoimmune disease can be done. But, the, you know, this is where holistic planning has to come into, into play, that if you can't get life insurance, then all the more reason to work with a financial advisor to make sure that you're building up your pension pot um, that, and, and so that you could even go on early retirement if the autoimmune disease, uh, you know, doesn't, um, you know, doesn't let you work at, at earlier than, say, 65 or something like that. Thank you. Anything to add to that, Skulk, or do you think Dawn's covered that? No, I think that's uh, well said, Dawn, so, so nothing more to add. Okay, thank you. So we've got uh, Rowan who has a question here, um, and he has a question for Rob. He says, Rob, is Sue's question to Dawn about moving all your money offshore, your investments offshore, an example of the behavioural biases you have discussed? In other words, rear view mirror investment decision making. He sounds like he knows a lot about this area. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Rowan, yeah, without obviously knowing the, the details of, of Sue's situation, uh, it does instinctively sound like it, you know, because, I mean, if you had to think about investing, one of the key principles of investment that we would hope uh, we all subscribe to, I think, is, is one of diversification. So certainly one would want to have money invested offshore from a diversification point of view. Um, and um, and the reason we diversify is because we can't predict the future. And so um, from a behavioral point of view, you know, to want to have all your money offshore when you are living in South Africa, and as Dawn spoke about her other client who's, who's got, you know, living expenses in South Africa, um, it, yeah, it doesn't sound, you know, sort of sensible in the sense from a diversification point of view. Um, it does sound like you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, you know, and uh, you know, it's um, it's something we can't predict the future. So we ideally invest money for whatever particular goals we have, um, rather than. I mean, I think the important point to make on this is that investing is not a competition. It's not about trying to find the best return. You know, long-term equity returns over a hundred years in South Africa have been around inflation plus seven percent. Internationally, about inflation plus six percent. One, you know, and we talk long term, we're talking, you know, 10 years plus, you know, if, you, if you're investing for anything less than 10 years, you shouldn't be, you know, really exposed to significant equities. But the point being, and maybe Ron, just to go back to your question, yes, I think there is probably a bit of a bias there that's being displayed um, unless Sue is planning to emigrate and is needing to get all the, her capital offshore. Thank you, Rob. Skull, Claire is immigrating and she wants to know what will happen to her life insurance when she immigrates and can she keep South African life insurance and live in another country like Canada? How does that work when you're thinking of immigrating? And also, as you said, life insurance is a long-term uh, commitment. So how do people think about that, particularly now when many people are thinking of immigrating? Yeah, first of uh, Jackie, um, again, there's uh, quite a few practicalities in this case to consider. So, um, First and foremost, um, she'll have to understand, is she 
going to maintain South African res residency? Um, is she going to um, have any further links with South Africa? So, for example, still um, the, um, you know, the, the uh, um, having South African bank accounts, earning some form of revenue in South Africa, etc. Um, all those things are important because, um, you know, unfortunately, um, the law is quite clear around um, foreign um, citizens being able to to um, be insured in South Africa. Um, it's it's not not allowed. But obviously, if you've got a work permit or you've got any form of um, um, citizenship in South Africa, you can um, take continue insurance in South Africa. And then, you know, just simply from a premium billing um, point of view, you know, that bank account, and then always to keep in mind, um, if, if you come to a claim point, um, point of claim, it is, you know, does present certain practical challenges of how will you get assessed, you know, getting, getting all the documentation um, through, um, getting the, the medical reports through, um, and then also keeping in mind that brand denomination payouts um, that, that will flow. So it's possible. I mean, we, in particular with, um, with some of our pilot clients, you know, that's a good example where a lot of the guys would be operating in the Middle East, um, you know, and Brightrock offered a, a very unique loss of license um, solution to them um, that, that they maintain um, and, and continue. Um, and, and so I think there's, there's those practicalities to, to consider and work through. Um, and then obviously, what are you going to do offshore, uh, you know, from a work point of view, from an employment point of view, um, and also your um, long-term exposure. So, so yes, a lot of considerations short, um, but, but in short, it is possible. And again, there, you know, I think, uh, um, you know, speaking to your to your advisor, um, it's critical to understand that holistic plan um, how would your portfolio be made up um, going forward and, and what you intend to stay here? Because I think the, the guys also alluded to it earlier, you know, life insurance is, is critical to protect you um, against exposures, um, that, that gaps in if, if something happens, for example, a death or a disability, temporary or permanent. Um, and it's important to reassess that exposure um, on your, call it your balance sheet. Um, if one of those events happen and if there's a gap that's still based in South Africa um, that exposes you to that. Um, maybe the last point to add, obviously, if if your health has changed over time and you do see fantastic value in your product, you know, especially if you look at the Brightrock product that's, um, you know, got features now that that at, at your retirement, et cetera, you know, it's, it's still available. You know, you can con um, use the co uh, cover conversion option. It maintains your insurability all throughout your life. Um, and that becomes a very valuable asset, especially later in, in years. Um, and again, they're working with your advisor um, to, to, keep, uh, to, to keep hold of that product, especially if you maybe still got dependents living in South Africa. Um, it's definitely a worthwhile conversation. Thank you. Dawn, do you have anything to add to that? Is this a question that comes up often for you? It, it has come up um, quite quite often. And um, if somebody's emigrating completely and it's a clean slate, then leaving almost nothing here, uh, our, my recommendation is if you're insurable, keep keep this in place until you can get um, insurance in place where where you are, you know, in the UK or where, wherever it is that they're emigrating to, so that there's that continuity. The problem comes in is if if somebody is uninsurable. If you know, I think um, Skak was alluding to that. If they've had some event that if they tried to get insurance again, um, they either wouldn't be covered or they wouldn't get favourable rates um, and and these kind of things, that starts to be, become a problem. And it, it's um, particularly when it comes to dread disease cover, in in my opinion, dread disease cover is the one um, kind of cover that is whole of life in all of my clients' portfolios, um, because purely because the the chance of you getting having to claim from a dread disease increases as you get older. Um, so it produce you know you can get a nice lump sum if you end up with a disease, and it, it can carry on into your 80s and 90s when there's much more chance of you having to claim from that. And that is a very valuable, you know, um, space to be in. Um, and that is where uninsurability can, can hit you quite hard. So in those cases, you know, obviously if the client now leaves, they would have to pay the premium here, just like Skull says. 
um, they would get paid here. But um, the actual, I've never had to go through a claim where now a client is in another country and they've contracted a dread disease, so they've had a heart attack or something like that. And now those reports have to come to the underwriters here to assess. And sometimes in the case of disability, they have to be um, physically one-on-one -on -one assessed. So it, it does produce issues, but if a client is uninsurable or is going to have to pay a fortune uh, over and above there, it, it, it is probably worth doing. Thank you. Charles has a question that's kind of related. He says that, can you get life insurance in South Africa that pays out in a foreign currency? No, yes. Skulk. Oh, sorry, Dawn, yes. Can you, yeah. could you elaborate? Uh, there is a provider that does it. Yeah. Okay. But they're a competition right. to this guy, so I'm, I'll keep quiet. But there is, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Skulk, Sabrina wants to know, can you please explain the needs matched product in a bit more detail? What is a need, needs matched product? Don't all financial services companies talk about what we need and what we want? Yeah, so, so Jackie, um, it's, it's a lot of components that we spoke, alluded to earlier today, but um, what, what we've done and, and, and what the product is at, at, at its cause, it's trying to understand the various exposures that you would have and, and these exposures are for example you now do my future paychecks look you know we we often ask the questions to advisors and clients you know what's the most valuable asset on your on your balance sheet and for most clients out there that haven't built up a significant um, asset base investment portfolio it would be their future earnings ability you know their ability to earn those paychecks to to take care of their family um, and especially for younger young younger people um, that haven't had that chance to build up that asset um, asset base. So for us, it was critical then to be able to match those future paychecks um, exactly. You know, so over time, they obviously will will change. Um, they could increase by more than inflation um, because you you might expect a bigger than expected salary um, increases. So that's one component. Another element would be to take care of your children um, as a as a need. Um, and that's again got a very different profile. Um, it might be needing to cover them until they reach age 24. Um, it might have a step up when they go, go from, from high school um, to, to a tertiary education facility. Um, and that's an, another key, key need. Then you go into debt. You know, debt again has got a very different profile. Um, you know, you talk about things like your death related needs, like estate duty, um, you know, um, funeral costs. Um, and, and then lastly, the category that, that's worth uh, highlighting, um, and Dawn spoke about critical illness cover, what we refer to additional expense benefit, that's where those additional costs from a, from a serious illness or injury comes through. And what we've done was pricing each one of those individually and making sure that, that the client gets the most efficient and effective cover. And the result of that has been phenomenal. You know, we've seen clients that for the same premium that they were spending elsewhere can get double the cover for the same premium by simply stripping out the waste, you know, having the right duration, the right shape. Um, so a huge amount of efficiency and, and think a little bit about the old adage of, of buying that CD versus just buying now or streaming the songs that you like. Um, it's it's just such a such a more much more efficient and, and cost effective um, solution. That's really in effect what needs match insurance is day one. And then over time, um, it evolves. It's, it's, uh, it keeps up with your changes. You know, we've brought in features like um, cover buyout that you can buy more cover if your needs have changed and your advisors suggest that without the need for going through the full underwriting process or one need has expired. You've paid off your debt, um, but you're now more worried about that critical illness um, as, as you go through life and, and age. And the product allows itself that flexibility to move premiums around um, in, in your product seamlessly through literally a phone call from your advisor or the client. And, and, and that's really been, I think, core to, to the Brightlock success is that product being able to deliver that, that level of solution, efficiency, flexibility, um, as well as that certainty component. Thank you. Dawn Shaman wants to know, how can an investment club in the form of a company invest in an offshore portfolio or build up an offshore portfolio? Do you ever work with that at all with your clients? Um, 
No, we we don't. I, I'm more inclined to to work with individuals. Um, my recommendation for an investment club like that would be to move in, you know, to, to start in the South African offshore space, probably with ETFs. Um, I would think that that would, you know, for an investment club of, of that nature, uh, using some of the MSCI ETFs and that kind of thing would be a very good place to to actually do that. Because once you start getting into, even if it you incorporate it into a juristic body, and now trying to man, manage that juristic body overseas in an investment club, it, you know, it's going to produce a nightmare. Um, but, you know, it's certainly something that is much easier to handle offshore and still get that full offshore, I mean, handle on here and still get that full offshore exposure. You know, I think sometimes people um, rush to say, I'm going to get this money out of here. I'm going to, you know, get my reserve bank clearance and I'm going to get it out of here, you know. I, and, uh, you yeah, know, it's something that, I'm I'm getting more and more. You know, people. There's a lot of fear out there um, that um, we're going to go the same way as Zimbabwe. Um, but you know, uh, quite quite frankly, the closest I've seen to somebody behaving like Mugabe is just across the pond there in the United States. Quite frankly. it's exactly what he did to Morden Shangarai, for goodness' sake. So um, we're getting to the end of our webinar, and Ian has a follow-up question for Rob. He says that long-term equity return that you mentioned of inflation plus seven percent does this include or exclude dividend payments? Sounds like quite a technical question. I'm wondering, is it important, Rob, to know whether it's including or excluding dividend payments? Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it is important, and uh, and and uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it does include dividend payments. So it's your long-term return from equities, but um, Dawn might. Uh, I see you squinting there, Dawn. Do you disagree with that? Um, um, it, and not not always. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, the, you know, if it's say just like tracking the JSE, when a share mm. goes um, uh, pays out the dividend, it goes ex div, and you lose lose that portion, and then then the index mm. carries on. So um, what a tracker, for example, that would track that index. Um, will always be above the index because it adds back the, the dividends and pays out those, those dividends on a quarterly basis. So um, if, if you're just looking at the sort of the way the JSE goes, it usually is without dividends, I think, because, yeah, of, because, of, the, because of the way shares behave. And, you know, there, there, there's some... You know, there there's some companies who never produce dividends, and then there are other companies that produce dividends of sort of five, six, seven percent, um, because you know that's you know the way they're structured. So usually, mm. if it if it's just packing an index, it will probably be without a dividend. Yeah, I mean, I think the principle is more about what your expectations of return are from an asset yeah. class, and and really, you know, seven percent real from equities. Um, is the long-term return from from the JSE, and 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 you know internationally it's slightly lower because we have a bit of a risk premium in South Africa. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that long term is becoming even longer when it comes to South Africa. Hmm. Yes, just looking at your yeah, rearview we, mirror, we Rob. haven't seen seven percent for Yonks. Yeah, yeah. It's Do you think it no one. longer holds that we should be looking at the the long-term investments, Rob? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I think that that's the, the unfortunately that's the yeah. the bias that gets played out is that we think that it's different this time now. So we think that you know because we've had five years of sort of relatively flat returns that that's going to knock out the whole long term return. Um, but the reality is is that you know you look globally, you look every you know, um, the reality is that equities over time you know, deliver that return, but it, it, the long term in equities is, you know, 10 years plus, it's not five years. Um, uh, the other, you know, observation to make there on the counter is that, you know, the, since 1960, there there hasn't been a rolling five year negative period on the JSE, you know, so people see equities as very risky, but in fact, if you stay invested, um, your downside is not as, as high as it seems because the volatility is so high in the short term. That makes any sense. 
Thank you. Before we close off, there's a final question from Rowan, who says that he's hearing lots and lots of pessimism about South Africa. He offers the following observation. South Africa's gov South African government's R2048 bond has outperformed the NASDAQ over the past six months. Um, Skulk, how optimistic are you about South Africa? No, Jackie, I think we've got uh, we've got our challenges. I mean, it's it's an absolute fact. We all know what they are. It's not worth um, belaboring them. Um, I do think there's a there's a tremendous level of of um, opportunity here. I mean, if I just look at the Bright Rock story, um, that that a group of people that was motivated, that was single-minded, that a common objective, you know, built a business that that I think is is globally recognized, you know, and we've got many case studies like that in financial services in South Africa. Um, and, and I do believe with that type of mindset, you know, we've got amazingly talented people in South Africa. Um, you know, we, we must create an environment where they feel there's opportunities to grow. And I think we we, we do have a, um, a tough two, three years ahead at least. Um, but I think our future is is, is definitely positive as a, as a standout. I think there's significant shifts in our political landscape um, that, that I think lays a good foundation. I think there's a will to, to change things. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's about uh, creating that environment for, for more people to feel that they can start businesses and develop businesses. And, uh, and, and there's definitely capital that's, that's looking to invest in those, in those opportunities. Um, but you know, nothing comes easy, um, Jackie. I think I think none of us should should think that uh, that building a business and, and and the challenges that we face are are going to be surmounted easily. It will take very strong leadership um, at all levels, at, at starting at obviously our, our most senior offices in the land, but also at business levels, guide, leading from the front. Um, and it will take a lot of hard work. I mean, we'll all have to eat a bit of humble pie and and, and realize that yesterday is. Is, is is not there anymore and and we'll kind of have to build uh, brick by brick and, and and success doesn't come overnight and, and if more people realize that and there's a lot of people realizing that um, we see it day now um, we will have a great future in this country uh, we've got all the goods we've got all the talent well i hope you're right um and as Rob said, the, the, we must look at the long-term future. Is that right? The long-term trajectory, yeah. Rob? Yeah, I mean, Jackie, if I might just make a couple of comments on that. I mean, I think that because certainly our, our experience is dealing with financial advisors day in and day out, there's a great deal of pessimism out there, and that's getting that from their clients. And I think that Dawn's point is an important point for people to think about, to look around the world and see what's going on in the world, and then see what's going on here. And we're seeing... For example, you know, Mr. Magashula has now been, you know, going to court now. Um, we're seeing other prosecutions happening. We, we're seeing Mr. Ramaphosa. He's playing the long game, but he's playing a game that is, is is going in the right direction. So I think that's the first one. The second one is for anybody who's feeling pessimistic about South Africa, they should go and read J.P. Luntman, read the, the articles that he's written about what's going on. Because we, again, the biases that we follow, we... We follow the highlights of the news, the headlines, with the recent stuff. We don't look behind that. And, and that's what I'd encourage people to do, to actually go behind. And then thirdly and lastly, sorry, I've got relations in the UK and the US. I can promise you now, they're more interested in coming here than I am in going there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Dawn, anything to add to that before we close off? No, um, you know, I, I think um, if, if the country can get the corruption under control, um, then, you know, and we really start to see some that BBS money being paid back, that, you know, the asset forfeiture going in there and not just putting these guys in jail, but, you know, taking, trying to get back some of that money so that we don't have to continually pay increased taxes, you know, th then I think... Uh, you're going to see everybody start to feel a lot more optimistic. But, you know, when you just get, you know, the, the all that COVID money just being looted. And, you know, that was just a couple of months ago. So it's like, it's a bit difficult to, and, and no sign of any of that being paid up back just yet. But the good news is if you look on Biz News today, you'll see there's a list of at least 100 people who've been arrested over the last month or so for corruption, some small cases of corruption, but then we've also got, uh, um, as Rob mentioned, Ace Magashule in court today. So hopefully that will give us all some 
reason to be optimistic about the longer term future. Yes. So thank you very much to, to everybody who's joined us today. Um, uh, thank you, Skalk Malan, the CEO of Brightrock, and Dawn Riddler, who is an independent uh, financial advisor, and also Rob McDonald. We didn't see you today, but we heard you. So thank you very much for joining Sorry us. Thank that. you to everybody. Oh, thank you. Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> and um, uh, thank you to everybody who joined us on the webinar today. We've had quite a few questions from people wanting to know how they can get in touch with Dawn. If you just send me an email, uh, I will pass your details on to Dawn. And some people also wanted to get in touch with Rob. Uh, so I'll pass those details on as well. And thank you very much to our panelists. Thank you. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Great Bye -bye. weekend, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.